You have one unheard message. Hi, I was calling Current, the influencer marketing platform, but I think I just got redirected to a bunch of people listening to a podcast. Well, anyways, I was calling Current because I was told they could help get my brand set up on TikTok Shop and even build out an affiliate program of content creators promoting my brand and even have those content creators go on live streams and promote my product there. Wow, I could really use Current. I also heard that the brands they work with are making millions in sales. I guess I'll just go to their website at current.tech. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to Webcology. Webcology is the show that takes you into the deepest and darkest ends of the ecosystem on the internet. Our guides will take you on a journey into web marketing and bring you the experts and the information so that you can further explore the web marketing world. Now, here are the hosts of Webcology, Jim Hedger and Dave Davies. Hey everyone, welcome to Webcology here on webmasterradio.fm. It's the 29th of May, 2014. This is Jim Hedger from Digital Always Media, joined by Dave Davies from uh, from Beanstalk SEO. And um, a little bit of apologies for the far intro segment. We were cracking each other up at the beginning of the show and didn't know well, we'd gone live. Jim, just remember, that only went out to the live audience, so for anybody who's asking about the humor... You know, people know that if they're listening live, they hear commercials uh, from our news partners after, and we're just fascinated with this one guy that talks about the three-step plan. We're just not going to say his name. No, we're not. Let's <laughs> say Yahoo in front of us. It's bound to set us off laughing. Okay, we have an exciting show today. Um, coming up in our first segment, just after our I'm sorry, the, in the segment just after our first break, we have, and I mean, like seriously, sit down for this, folks. You're going to want to take notes. We have an actual, honest-to-goodness, live political economist, Steve DeMillionaire, explaining Bitcoin. We're going to go from the basics to, uh, well, we're going to go from the basics to whatever goes past the basics. And, uh, you know, get, get, get a serious look at, at, at what this thing, this commodity currency known as Bitcoin is. But before we get there, I mean, there's just way too much to, uh, to that happened this week not to... Uh, not to do a elongated news segment, Dave. What a week! It, it is. It it just keeps happening. <laughs> it rolls on. Well, here's here's what I'm looking at the, the the weirdness that I saw this week. The number one story, actually, you know what? The number one story that I wanted to lead with is being replaced by Google self driving cars. Uh, I thought that was fascinating this morning. Um, yep. How about the uh, the uh, Silke and Stewart lawsuit? Silke and Stewart versus Rainmaker Institute, lawyers suing an SEO firm for yep. violating Google's guidelines. Mm-hmm. Um, do you know, speaking of Google, their cell phone, Android, you know how much of the market they're holding? Oh, no, I don't. 80? 80%, according to Greg Sterling at Marketing Land, 80% of the market, uh, Android. 
Wow. Snowden uh, was interviewed on NBC last night, Edward Snowden, and uh, one of the one of the things that are, are about to be released from the documents he uh, is the names of over two million Americans who the American government is taking special interest in. That is supposed to be released sometime this week. Um, what did you think? Of, what did you think of John Kerry kind of like mouthing off, basically telling Snowden, "Be a man and come back here and face your charges." Uh, wow. You know what? I'm of two minds of this. On one side, I uh, very much support what Edward Snowden did. Um, I don't think that we would know the depths of. Uh, of the scandal of spying on Americans and, and, and other people around the world if Snowden hadn't done what he did. At the same time, um, you know, any conscious person realizes that operational security is has been breached and people were put in danger. Agreed. So, you know, um, as for the U.S. Secretary of State getting, like, all doing that Tarzan thing and thumping his chest and screaming, come back here now, well... I don't think that's very helpful. I don't think it's helpful to anybody. Certainly certainly not going to prompt Edward Snowden to get on an airplane and come back to Langley, is it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, probably not. How complex an issue, isn't this? Um, where I, and, and Jim, I, I totally agree with you where I'm like, you know, it, it, I guess it's great because we didn't know. Like we have, we have information on what's going on that, that we just didn't know. And then at the same time, there's, there's that instinctive, you know, you were, you were hired on contract by an entity, the American government in this case. I'm sure, you know, massive document signed. They gave you access to information as a trusted source to hold that information. Um, you know, and then you violated that trust. How would I feel on a much smaller scale? How would I feel if my staff did that to me? How would you feel if your staff did that to you? Um, you know, uh, another way to look at it, of course, is um, if we were American citizens, we could say our staff is doing this to us and that the NSA is, uh, you know, <laughs> works for us um, and they are doing this to us. Right. <laughs> yeah, it, it is a very, very complicated, complicated issue. Um, you know, how, how to view this. Is he a, a hero or a villain? I um, mean, you know, and, and every, every, as every other one, uh, you know, the truth lies somewhere in between. Um, but I'm I mean, certainly one, glad to have the information. One part of the story that no one's looked at at all. What's that? There are people in their 20s out there with access to all this information. <laughs> <laughs> You're trusting somebody in their 20s. No offense to anybody in their 20s, but let me tell you, you got a whole bunch of life in front of you. It's coming and you're going to have a bunch of, you're going to learn a lot. You're going to learn a lot of stuff. And, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it, 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 it it reminds me of like looking at this incredible nuclear submarine and thinking, wow, this is driven by an 18-year-old. Anyway, so that came out. Snowden, apparently Snowden, uh, the Snowden documents will, will soon uh, inform any, at least two million Americans who are being spied on that they are being spied on. And uh, the last thing I want to talk about, David... Um, was an article published by Danny Sullivan five days ago on Monday, what would happen if Google really did kill Google Plus? Um, the reason I, I wasn't going to touch this story, but then I saw Android hits 80% of market and thought, you know, there's got to be a connection here. Yeah. So let's start with the biggie. Um, self-driving, Google and their self-driving car announcement. 
Yeah, oh. yesterday Google put out that they are developing a prototype for a truly autonomous vehicle. So autonomous, in fact, that it doesn't have brakes or a steering wheel. It has a big red button to stop the car dead. But aside from that, no user controls whatsoever, except for the, your interface with your, guess what type of phone? Your Android phone. <laughs> yep. Um, you punch your coordinates, or the coordinates you wish to go to into your Android device. Your Android device communicates with your autonomous vehicle. Your autonomous vehicle gets you there at a speed of 40 kilometers or tw- 40 kilometers an hour or 25 miles an hour. Yep. No muss, no fuss. Boom, boom, you're there. What do you think? Um, I think it's great. Um, they, they brought up a, a really good point that I wouldn't have necessarily predicted. I mean, I think I get into a vehicle that has no driver. I mean, the first thing I thought of was uh, Fifth Element. Remember that fake taxi driver yeah. in, uh, in Fifth Element, right? Um, you know, it was sort of that one. Would I feel comfortable um, in a vehicle that I had no ability to to control, instinctively, the answer is no. Um, their decision to do that, however, and, and in thinking about it, good call, um, is, you know, they were testing it out on their employees, um, and they realized that really these employees were in no condition um, to to take over, like to, to make that decision. You're, you know, it makes sense. You're now asking a distracted population to decide whether to panic or not, right? Whereas more trusted in this scenario is the vehicle. And it was right. In all their tests, the only accidents happened with the Google self-driven cars at moments when a human being would take over. Um, control of the vehicle. They're the only accidents that they had. Um, so, you know, I, I, at the same time, I completely get why they're doing it. I, I think it's a, it's weird, but I like it. <laughs> um, I, I get why it's more safe. I got to tell you, I'm all for it. Uh, something you said, and I've, I've heard this objection from a lot of other people, would you feel comfortable being inside a vehicle that you are not in control of? And then I think of how much time I spend flying. And I think, yes, I would be perfectly comfortable in a vehicle in which I I have no control. Heaven knows, I'll put myself at 35,000 feet in the air in one, and I won't think twice about it. Um, But getting in a car scares the bejesus out of me. There's too much random, you know. And it's almost never the driver beside me I'm worried about. It's the driver beside them. Um, right, Right. the unpredictable. You can react to the one beside you, but if he has to swerve suddenly... Yeah, um, um, and unexpectedly, that that can cause problems. Um, something I I really like as well is, hey, my car is in a in a parkade right now. I could just you know program that thing to come pick me up. <laughs> just enter it in, tell it to come get me. Uh, you know, wait a couple minutes, walk outside the door, and there it is. Uh, you know, it, hey, your life. we'll we'll have the world of Wally finally. <laughs> Where, yeah. I don't know if you ever saw the movie. That turned out really good for this. <laughs> okay. Speaking of stuff that like could turn out really weird, the way you don't actually expect or intend it to, did you read about the lawsuit, the um, Selkie and Stewart versus Rainmaker Institute? Only in a very, I wouldn't pretend to speak as an authority. I, I read enough to know what's going on and when I need to kind of pay attention, and we'll see what happens at the end of this. Um, But I don't know the details. Critical ones like was violating Google's guidelines in their initial contract. Was that a condition of their initial contract, which, of course, makes it a a pertinent fact. There's, you know, there's a bunch of stuff that I'm afraid we just don't know yet as the the case is just going through the courts now. But to to, to summarize it for the listeners, a, uh, a company called Rainmaker Institute specializes in tightrope walking. 
No, I mean, I'm sorry. Specializes in online marketing services for legal professionals. <laughs> and that's that's got to be tightrope walking. Like, no matter how you slice it. Well done. <laughs> um, they provided services for a law firm in Michigan known as Selkie. Oh, uh, Siklaki, sorry, Siklaki and Stewart, and I'm I'm, I'm probably probably uh, mispronouncing Mr. Stewart's name wrong. I apologize. Um, in the course of their engagement with S and S, the law firm, the Rainmaker Institute allegedly created, knowingly created, link farms on behalf of the of their client. Their client got penalized. Uh, somewhere around April 2012, the Penguin update hurt them because of the, these leak farms, and so the law firm S and S sued the Rainmaker Institute. Um, but they didn't just—they uh, didn't just sue them. They're going after them using the RICO Act. Now, the RICO Act covers cross uh, cross border fraud, interstate fraud. A fraudulent action that, you know, uh, crosses state borders or involves several parties. It's a very, very heavy act to go after somebody under. Mm-hmm. More than the uh, more than the items in, 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 in this case itself, the, I mean, the first question, that, like, like you asked, was it in the contract? Why didn't they go after them on basic contract law? Um, we're going to have to take a break in a few moments. I know, I know that we have, um, maybe, I mean, I, 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 there's so much to talk about around this case. Um, you know what I would do if I was them, though? If I was the Rainmaker Institute? Forget What's that, Jim? Forget the specifics of the case. Forget about it. In order to allow for a full and proper defense, Google should be compelled to expose its algorithms and to explain to the best of its ability how the iteration of the algorithm corresponding with April 12th, 2012, the date mentioned by, uh, uh, Sulaki and Stewart, how that iteration of the algorithm, the, the day that the alleged violation took place, how that would affect or penalize the domain in question. See, the crux of the complaint rests on the SEO firm know, knowingly violating webmaster guidelines in relation to that iteration of the algorithm. The algorithm could have been different the next day. It could have been, could have been different on the 11th, right? Right. Perhaps the violation was of an iteration that had not yet been released when the work itself was performed. There's only one way to know, and Google is never, ever, ever going to open its servers. Ever. Never in a million years. I'm not sure where the case should go. You know, I have no idea where the case should go, but I really hope the Rainmaker Institute has a clever and imaginative lawyer. I'm sure they do. Who will pay me to tell them just that. Okay, so if anybody out there in Radio Land knows the Rainmakers' lawyers, get them in touch with me. Uh, Ten bucks, I've got some information for them. In the meantime, we've got to take a break here on Webcology. We're going to be coming back with an interview with uh, political economist Steve DeMillionaire, uh, looking at well, looking looking at Bit- what the hell is Bitcoin. You're listening to Webcology on webmasterradio.fm. It's the 29th of May, 2014. On behalf of Dave Davis from Beatsock SEO, this is Jim Hedger from Digital Always Media. Stay tuned. Coming back after these messages with a killer interview. Sit tight. Don't move. Webcology. We'll be back after this short break. 
InternetMarketingNinjas.com is the online dojo of the highly trained and skilled Internet Marketing Ninjas. Disavow documents, reconsideration requests, Panda and Penguin penalties. Let our superior SEO ninjas confront all of your link-related issues. The Internet Marketing Ninjas are equipped to master any marketing exercise, content creation, authorship, link building, PPC, and more. Plus, build more buzz for your brand with our social media marketing strategy. Discover all that the Internet Marketing Ninjas can do for you. Visit the online dojo now at internetmarketingninjas.com. When you started your business, you first listened to your professors. Now that your business is growing and gaining ground, you only seek out professionals. PPC Professionals, an industry leader for highly optimized search marketing campaigns with over 30 years of combined management experience. Our professional approach to every campaign helps you find every avenue of revenue so that you can not only stay ahead of your competitors, but get a return on your investment and increase your bottom line. PPC Professionals, personal, professional, PPC services. PPCProfessionals.com. While some affiliate networks can give you offers, Affiliate Offers Network gives you offers that pay big. Why do affiliates work with Affiliate Offers Network? How about because they work with powerhouse CPAs like Affiliate.com? How about that affiliates get paid every Monday to kick off their work week? Plus, learn how their green bucket system can turn your email, display ad, social, video, or mobile impression into profitable income. Get connected today with Affiliate Offers Network. Call 312-560-0175 or visit AffiliateOffersNetwork.com. Your mission, initiate internet marketing measures. Your arsenal, the weapons of mass marketing. Weapons of mass marketing, on demand anytime inside the internet marketing channel. Only on WebmasterRadio.fm. Commercials off. Now back to Webcology, only on WebmasterRadio.fm. Here are the hosts, Jim Hedger and Dave Davies. Today we got a treat for you. We're joined by a friend of mine, an old friend of mine, Steve DeMillionaire. This is a fellow I knew back in Victoria, B.C., Received a double major in political science and philosophy from the University of Victoria and started becoming intensely interested in, well, in the dismal science of economics. Studying political economy in 1990, he was an early adopter and administrator of the LETS system, local exchange trading system in Victoria, B.C., and he currently runs a website around complementary currencies or the complementary currency resource center that's complementarycurrency.org he lives he lives the dream life in central bali ladies and gentlemen bitcoin expert steve de millionaire steve welcome to webcology thank you very much jim and uh hello everyone now a lot of my listeners know that I uh, I fancy myself as an amateur economist. That's uh, these days with you know the, the economy it's getting so complicated. That's kind of like being a uh, amateur brain surgeon. So you wouldn't go to a bra- to an amateur brain surgeon for a good diagnosis. And you know what? Y'all shouldn't come to me for a, for a great explanation on Bitcoin. I intellectually understand it, but there's some stuff I don't get. And that's why I turned to Stephen, because um, if anybody in, in who I've ever met in my life is going to understand an alternative currency, it's Steve DeMillionaire. And Stephen, my very first question, why don't I understand Bitcoin? I mean, intellectually, I get it. It's a means of exchange. It's just like any other currency, um, except that it's web-based. 
what could you explain Bitcoin from uh, from from the basics to uh, to where we are today? Sure. Um, well, well, actually, can I start with what do you not understand about Bitcoin? Is it the cryptographic element that's uh, confusing you, or is it the whole thing in general? You know, it's the whole okay. thing in general. How a currency that doesn't seem to be supported by a gross domestic product or by a uh, central bank can hold value. That's that that's that's right. where my brain just fries that's out. The, right, that's the philosophy part. But maybe we'll start with the technical part. Please. Um, you you start by opening a wallet. Uh, you usually do this online through a payments provider. Uh, for example, Coinbase or BitPay or Blockchain.info. Uh, there are a bunch of other wallets out there as well, too, that are online. Um, you can then connect those accounts to a mobile device, like uh, your iPhone, iPad, Android phone, so on. Although Mac has been a little bit resistant to having wallets on their platforms, but I think that will change in the future. But when once you have a wallet, then you're able to move money between your wallet to another person's wallet. Um, you stock up your wallet by purchasing Bitcoin or by earning it from somebody else. So you purchase it from, a, from say, for example, Coinbase or another one by connecting your bank account to it, and then you can start making payments to other people using that, using that uh, device. Okay. That's the basic technology of it. Um, where it starts to get interesting is in how we're able to move money between us without having to have a third party recognize the transaction. And that's where we really get into the deep technology behind uh, the Bitcoin system. Okay, well, if I can stop you there for a second, you can move money from wallet to wallet without having a central authority recognize the transaction. How does the Bitcoin system understand the value of a Bitcoin? Oh, the value of a Bitcoin is determined by the price that people will pay through these exchanges. So that's why the price goes up and down just like you would see a stock do the same thing. Okay. So uh, that's just the price that people are willing to pay for a Bitcoin. And right now it's about 570 as I last checked. So 570 American dollars to one Bitcoin. That's right. That's okay. right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. From, up from about 30 cents a Bitcoin in early 2011. About three and a half years ago, Bitcoin was worth, say, 37 cents, one Bitcoin to the American dollar. Now it's worth over 500 to the American mm-hmm. dollar. It's more successful than Google stocks. How did this happen in just a couple of years? Uh, this happened really simply. It's just word of mouth. Uh, people began to uh, purchase the currency, uh, exchange it with other people. They began to trust it, uh, be able to buy things that they wanted with it. And next thing you knew, uh, two friends told two friends and so on and so on, and it became uh, a snowball. Are you at all worried about their the potentiality of a Bitcoin bubble? Oh, definitely. That's what a lot of people are talking about. Um, Although it is a deflationary currency, so technically speaking, the uh, value of Bitcoin should continue to rise or in a general way over time until it's mathematically determined to run out in about 2140. Okay. uh, AD. (laughs) But um, it doesn't necessarily mean it's, it's on a... Uh, upward incline to to becoming hundreds of thousands of dollars per Bitcoin and say maybe twenty or thirty years. Um, you know there has it did rise up to fourteen hundred dollars and then uh, crash back down again after the Mount Gox collapse. Well, I, I wanted to get to Mount Gox. Mount Gox was uh, a wallet 
of sorts. It was uh, probably the best known in the world, one of the one of the most well stocked wallets, and then suddenly it was gone. What was, what happened there? Well, actually, it was an exchange. Um, there are many. It had many, many wallets in it. Oh, in this okay. Exchange, and it was managing for people, and people could store their bitcoins there. They could also purchase bitcoins, uh, exchange them with other, other people, and so on. Um, what happened is still the subject, I think, of a lot of um, questioning by people and uh, the regulators that are also looking into its collapse as well, too, and the mysterious disappearance of money and the mysterious reappearance of, of bitcoins and various wallets and so on. So um, I, I'm not sure if I'm, uh, you know, at the liberty to to just give a random, my personal random opinion about it, but it just seems like things went on behind closed doors. And uh, it's, so it's really hard to know about uh, what kinds of things went on exactly. Was it a hack or was it something more internal? But the owners of the company um, are stand-up people, you know, reputable people. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're not shady characters. So uh, I generally tend to think that uh, it was a major hack from within. Now, I th- something that, I, that, that confused me, and I, I'm pretty sure confuses a number of other people who follow Bitcoin. Now, every Bitcoin has a electron, an encrypted um, signature, an, an identifier to it, correct? Yes, that's right. So every Bitcoin can technically be accounted for somehow because it, it's got an identifier attached to it. That's right, yeah. Whatever, all that money that disappeared is in an account that can be identified on the blockchain. Okay, so that's sort of like stealing, going to the bank and stealing every bundle of bills that has a red die package attached to it. Yes, uh, sort of, except that uh, you don't know who has that account. Okay. And you can't, you cannot access the money that's in that account. You can know what the public key is, uh, sorry, what the public address is, but you don't know what the private key is, so you can't go and say, no, I'm going to take it back. But what if this person tries to spend it? Uh, if well, then they can start trying to track where that person is, and that's how they've found other people before. Like in, with, when uh, the U.S. government shut down Silk Road, they started tracking uh, accounts on the on the blockchain, and uh, eventually we were able to locate the people involved uh, in trading in Silk Road. Okay, so so, so it can be done, um, but that a lot of mistakes were made with uh, people by people uh, using the Silk Road market which maybe the person who who's holding all these bitcoins from Mt. Gox is able to will be smarter about it and will move it into multiple accounts and in small volumes over time and things like that and start to dissipate it so did, into smaller wallets it it almost strikes me more as the the banality of art theft you know where you where you go and you steal a Renoir and now you got a Renoir and you can't do anything with it cuz everyone's looking for this one identifiable painting um, i imagine it's the same thing with uh, with these stolen bitcoins Right, yeah. Yeah, they might be able to eventually track the person down or they'll just hold on to them for a very long time until the until the cloud passes and and uh and then try and do something bigger with them. Okay. Now, earlier you said you can either purchase bitcoins or you can earn bitcoins. And and, and I got to tell you, this is something that's that's kind of confused me. It's made me think of bitcoin much like say gold as a commodity rather than a currency. How far off base am I thinking that way? Oh, not at all. I, I definitely think uh, Bitcoin is primarily a commodity, and I, I think the uh, the authorities in most governments are saying exactly the same thing, um, that it's a commodity first and a currency second. Okay. Um, does uh, 
the fact that it's that it's accepted as a means of exchange by a growing number of uh, of entities, both on the web and in the real world, does that sort of change the uh, the perception of Bitcoin? Again, I, I have a hard time stepping away from my idea that this is a commodity to be to be mined to be and then to be traded. Um, yeah. But again, it's it's being accepted as a means of exchange. Now we don't walk around with like ounces of gold in our pocket, right? Or shares in Microsoft, and uh, asking you know if you could buy a cup of coffee for a one millionth of your share or something like that. Oh, you, you know what? You can only get a cup of coffee for a share in Yahoo these days, and it's a pretty crappy <laughs> cup of coffee. Let me tell you. Um, <laughs> sorry, Yahoo. You just but you earned it. Um, how do you how do you earn how do you earn bitcoins? What's the process? Oh, just like any other business, like any business does. You you offer it. You have a wallet. So when a customer comes that has bitcoins and the ability to make payment to you, you um, give them your public address and they can send you uh, bitcoin directly. We our business in Bali, uh, which is a language school, uh, uh, accepts bitcoin, and that's what we do with our students. And we do have students from overseas, especially America, who would rather purchase uh, our language courses using Bitcoin than PayPal. It's, uh, the price difference can be huge. You mean you, 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 there's actually a savings using Bitcoin over um, more traditional means of payment, uh, as you mentioned, PayPal or credit card? Or... So by, by cutting out the middleman, uh, the banks, the payment processors and such, uh, Bitcoin can save someone making an international transfer a great deal of money. For example, if you're transferring a million dollars from America to Indonesia, you're going to pay four uh, percent plus uh, forty cents a transaction plus a very bad exchange rate using PayPal. Very uh, an exchange rate that's worse than than the cash kiosks here in the on the street corner in in Kuta and Bali. Okay. Um, if you do Western Union, they'll take twenty five percent of it. You know, they'll take 250 grand for sending that million dollars over, something like that, right? But at the same time... Um, but, but, with, but with Bitcoin, you'll be only be paying 40 cents to complete that transaction, something like that. You could pay a little bit more to make sure it arrives more quickly, but uh, you'd be paying, yeah, right around 50, 50 U.S. cents. But at the same time, Stephen, if I'm transferring a million dollars from Los Angeles to, uh, to Bangalore... The American government is quite interested that I'm transferring a million dollars. Similarly, if I'm transferring a million dollars from, say, Toronto to Lahore, Pakistan, the Canadian government is extremely interested in the tra transit of that money. But they wouldn't know about the Bitcoin. They wouldn't know that it's transferred a million dollars in Bitcoin. And, I, and as I understand it, the governments have a problem with that. Uh, they, they, they do and they don't. Uh, they're still kind of touchy-feely with how this is all working. And uh, very large transactions uh, at the international level have already been taking place. For example, even here in Bali, uh, someone purchased a 600,000 US dollar villa using bitcoins. Completely. <laughs> Lock, stock and barrel. And uh, I don't know which country it originated from, uh, not necessarily from America, but um, that was a very large, very large purchase. And it only cost him 50 cents to make the transfer. It's great. Okay, well, listen, I think it's wonderful. I really do. And believe me, I, in many ways, I like the idea of cutting out the rapacious middleman. Uh, but I am, you know, very concerned about security and money laundering and, um, you know, making sure that people who follow the rules are able to succeed while people who 
violate the rules get punished for it. And this is one of the things that 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 uh, I think a lot of people have a hard time wrapping their heads around. Let's say that the purchase of that house in Valley, that six hundred thousand dollar villa, which wow, that sounds wonderful. Whoever got that is uh, a very lucky person. Um, let's say it originated in Los Angeles. Wouldn't the IRS be quite interested in that? And shouldn't the IRS be interested in that? Uh, I think that they might be doing their own investigation into how that much money ended up into that account. And through blockchain.info, you can uh, track a lot of that information and track movements from from address to address or wallet to wallet. Okay. Right? Um, but what if that person, for example, there's the, the famous story of the pizza purchase where some half million dollars, if I'm not mistaken, in Bitcoin was, was uh, paid to purchase a pizza many years ago and Bitcoin was basically worthless and nobody knew anything about it. It was basically just a joke. It was like, oh, could, you know, I don't have any cash right now. Can I give you some Bitcoin? And, and that's now worth, you know, about as much as the, about as much money as, as was paid for that villa. So uh, quite a number of people were able to acquire Bitcoin at, at pennies on pennies per Bitcoin rather than the hundreds of dollars per Bitcoin that it's worth today. So it's not always easy for the, for the IRS to say, well, you know, you can't do that. It's a capital gain. Well, yeah, but, but I sold the guy a pizza. What kind of capital gain do you get on selling a pizza? Right. Yeah. <laughs> it's and amazing. How, how do you report it? So that brings me to another question, and, and I, I think that's a wonderful example. How could Bitcoin cause, for want of a better word, wonks in our understanding of the value of money? How does Bitcoin alter our understanding of the value of money? That's a very good question. I mean, that's that's the that's what everyone who's looking at Bitcoin is trying to uh, answer as well for themselves, because it's causing each of us to uh, re you know to raise those questions, to to question our own attitudes about money and what does it mean for us to have money and to be working for money so hard or, or how does it come so easily for some people? Um, it's, it's just not an easy question at all to answer, is it? Well, you um, know, there, there was, there's, uh, there's the old debate on, you know, whether it's luck or whether it's hard work or is luck simply applied hard work. Um, and, you know, many people get very lucky because they know when they know when to jump and what to jump on at exactly the right time while others, others don't. And that's just, I mean, that, it works that way in the traditional economy or in this new um, electronic economy. Um, and, you know, I imagine folks like you or that person who sold that pizza, that $600,000 pizza, which was, you know, a $12 pizza several years ago. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. You know, they, you know, a little bit of luck, a little bit of knowing what to look for when. Would that be correct? Mm-hmm. Yes, absolutely. I think that's that's just like anything. Yeah. One yeah, of, but I but I didn't uh, get into Bitcoin, even though I've been following complementary currencies for 25 years. I uh, overlooked Bitcoin. I didn't think it was really going to go anywhere because it's not really community based. And uh, but that was also Bitcoin's strength. They didn't consider that they needed to have a community support it. They just put it out there, uh, found some some wealthy backers to jump in on it, and and sold it that way as a you know first in investment. And like the Winklevoss twins and such, mm-hmm. found a few people like that, and and Bitcoin was off to the races after that. Well, let me ask you this then: You originally, now, you're an economist, a political economist. You originally looked at Bitcoin and said, "Wow, this isn't community oriented. I don't think it has a future." 
But then something changed, something shifted. What changed your opinion about Bitcoin? Uh, what changed my ability or my opinion about Bitcoin was the ability of the currency to to go internationally and uh, yeah go between local areas. It can go all around the world, so it connects us um, in in many different ways that the internet can't you know wasn't able to do until Bitcoin came along. Right, peer to peer was still in its infancy. Well, it really is still in its infancy, isn't indeed, it? Indeed. And uh, so that's. Yeah, that's that's where it, it really comes. It came in and, and changed my mind about it, but I still really do see it as a commodity, or uh, mainly, and as a currency for large scale purposes. And that's because you generally need to have a pretty high um, balance in your account before the payment processor will will transfer, will convert bitcoins back into national currency and send it to your bank account. So for some businesses that need to be able to, you know, that are running. Uh, tighter margins, they want to be able to convert their Bitcoins out quite quickly and they need, for example, with BitPay they have to have at least a thousand dollar balance to be able to do that, so if, that's a lot of coffees, you know, and if you need to be buying buying uh, beans before you can sell more coffees you're going to have to find a way to cash that out so they, they can, of course, sell Bitcoins back to people for cash, but then it just, you know, I, I think I think uh, cash money is still going to be around for a long time. It's not going to be wiped out by Bitcoin anytime soon. Okay. Now, one of the one of the things I think that are a trend on the internet these days that have, have taken a lot of old hands by surprise is the rapidity of regulate of new regulation or changing attitudes about about the internet and how the internet uh, should be should be governed. One of the trends that have surprised a lot of old hands on the internet is how quickly the internet is being regulated or traditions that we've um, come to rely on, net neutrality as, as the prime example, are changing over time as the internet matures. Will a maturation and regulation process happen around Bitcoin over time? Well, uh, there are some in the Bitcoin community that are that want this. You know, the Circle um, is a company that's trying to do that. You know, by bringing it to Wall Street and bringing it mainstream. I think that this needs. You know, uh, I agree with the founder of Skype that this needs to be opposed as much as possible or avoided. You know, for the for the health of of Bitcoin, it shouldn't try and uh, it can compete with U.S. dollars or or national currencies in some ways. But it shouldn't try to become a complete and total replacement for them, right? It should, or for the Federal Reserve, right? Say the, um, you know, the issuance of it or these payment providers shouldn't become like reserve banks of the various states uh, in the U.S., right? Um, it's like, uh, like Skype. Uh, Skype could have said, "Well, we we are just we're like a telecoms company." So we should just try for it to be regulated, you know, according to other telecoms companies. But that's um, what, you know, they, they decided that that would be a very bad idea because then they would just be pigeonholed as that. And uh, they wouldn't be allowed to become the kind of, you know, community network that Skype has become now. Right. Okay. Um, I, I only have time for a couple more questions. And I, 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 I just want to sort of bring it back to the basics, if we could. What is your strongest recommendation for Bitcoin? If somebody if somebody came to you and said, uh, Stephen, I, I, I'm really interested in this, what would be your strongest encouragement? Uh, if your business is accepting international payments, then it would be beneficial for you and the payer 
to to do to use Bitcoin. Okay, absolutely. Well, that, that would be the biggest one. Same question from a different angle. Somebody comes to you and says, "Stephen, I'm scared of this. Uh, what would be? What do you see as this, as the biggest flaw in Bitcoin?" Well, they're actually. I have a long list of them that I'm working on together with Michelle Bowens at the P2P Foundation, and we might release that sometime soon. Uh, I think the big one right now is the size of the blockchain. Uh, it's growing very quickly because all these transactions are being um, uh, added to a blockchain that every single uh, peer on the network. That's someone who has the Bitcoin wallet on their laptop computer uh, downloads. Uh, from the internet, so everyone who has their own wallet on their own computer has every single transaction that's ever been processed in Bitcoin, and Bitcoin's starting to surpass uh, Western Union and PayPal and many other uh, large-scale payment providers already. So this means that um, it's soon going to become unfeasible for people to have uh, wallets on their own computer until something changes. And what that so the the spin-off from that or the, the upshot of that is that this is going to result in more concentration of peers on the Bitcoin network. And that's for me, is very anti-peer-to-peer. -peer. Uh, a peer-to-peer -peer network should be a peer-to-peer -peer network. It shouldn't be peer-to-peer -peer in the beginning, but then slowly concentrating into three or four exchanges and maybe, you know, a thousand or two thousand peers instead of seven or eight thousand peers or whatever it is uh, nowadays. Uh, you know what I'm saying. So for me, the concern is increasing concentration. Okay. Um, I guess my last question is, uh, is Bitcoin a secure system that we can rely on 5, 10, perhaps 15 years from now? Uh, that really remains to be seen. You know, uh, of course, technolo technology changes can't really be predicted that well. But I'd say five years, yes. Uh, 10 years I or beyond, I cannot say. I think by that time, uh, one of the 300 altcoins will have uh, come to surpass Bitcoin, and we'll see Bitcoin basically as we did the Mosaic browser or even the Lynx browser, for, you know, for the from the DOS days. Hold right? it. it is very, it is very bare bones, right? So hold so. it. Altcoins. Altcoins. Yeah. I mean, we we just got done talking about bitcoins. What's this altcoin stuff, brother? <laughs> <laughs> the, well, because Bitcoin's open source, um, you can take the source code, uh, make tweaks or changes to it, and release it as your own coin. And there's about 300 of them now. Okay, there's a uh, there's a leakage you, of my brain coming out my right earlobe. It's, uh, uh -huh. it's kind of uncomfortable. Um, you can go to uh, coinmarketcap.com. And that will list the valuations of all of the altcoins uh, that are out there now. Steven, and there are, there are new coming, new ones coming every day. Okay, we need to invite you back on the show again. I, 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 I <laughs> you just opened a can of worms that I need to dive into, but I'm afraid the tyranny yeah. of time is stopping me. Okay, well, um, next time, it, next time it will be then. Okay, you know what? I'm, I I would like to make a uh, semi regular um, a semi regular segment out of this, really, because um, this is fascinating, and it's something that is directly affecting the evolution of the of the of the web and of the internet. But it's something a lot of us who work on the web and internet don't fully understand. Right. So, well, it really is. Uh, it really is. It really will. But we're seeing lots of other P two P systems coming up. Like I've started using BitTorrent Sync instead of Dropbox for syncing files. Um, it's completely peer-to-peer. -peer. There's no central or cloud authority that's looking at your files, and you can just 
sync between different computers and mobile devices. It, it's really great. Uh, so, I mean, uh, Bitcoin is just going to do that for many, many different things, not just currency, but documents, uh, contracts, um, domain names. You know, many, many different things are coming up that uh, are going to – so. If if the government isn't going to net, give us net neutrality, then we are very much in a position to be to start taking it for ourselves, and that's what I find really cool. That is a most interesting statement, and I'm afraid we have to leave it at that. Uh, Stephen Demoulinier, uh, economist in Bali, economist and language school owner in Central Bali. Thank you so much for your time on Webcology today. We will be talking soon. My pleasure. Have a good day, everyone. Sit tight and don't move. Webcology. We'll be back after this short break. Oh, yeah. My day is done. Time for happy hour. You're already done for the day? Yeah, because I use certifiedknowledge.org. Their PPC tools literally save me hours every day. How do you keep on top of all of Google's new features? Easy. With Certified Knowledge, their interactive learning modules keep me up to date. And if there's something I don't know, I can watch their video lessons without having to hunt around the Google help files. Great. I'm ready to expand my knowledge. Hi, I'm Brett Geddes. I'm the only leader officially supported by Google to teach the advanced track of the AdWords Seminars for Success. I personally recommend CertifiedKnowledge.org as your one-stop shop for all your PPC needs. Learn. Optimize. Connect. Be smart. Go to CertifiedKnowledge.org now. Hey, this is Danny Sullivan to talk to you about Bruce Clay Incorporated. They've made Inc. Magazine's list of growing private businesses and have exhibited and sponsored at my conferences since the very beginning. You've seen their search engine relationship chart or you've read their SEO code of ethics, so you know their SEO experts, but did you know they can help you with PVC, web analytics, web design, marketing strategy, promotion, and branding? Yep, get everything you need for success in the online marketplace. You can check it out from the professionals at Bruce Clay Incorporated. For over 10 years with offices worldwide, they've got the answers you need. Check them out today at BruceClay.com. Before you painstakingly create another label or drag yourself to the post office, set a course to ShipStation, your key to e-commerce shipping nirvana. Save time by easily importing orders from wherever you set up, like Amazon, eBay, and over 40 others. Save money with discounted USPS rates and a free USPS account. Automate manual tasks through bulk label and invoice printing, custom shipping rules, and much more. WebmasterRadio.fm listeners get an additional 30 days free, 30-day trial. Go to ShipStation.com slash WebmasterRadio now. Shipping Nirvana starts here. Life Tips. Making your life smarter, better, faster, wiser. On demand anytime inside the entertainment channel, only on WebmasterRadio.fm. Commercials off. Now back to Webcology, only on webmasterradio.fm. Here are the hosts, Jim Hedger and Dave Davies. Hey everyone, welcome back to Webcology here on webmasterradio.fm. It's the 29th of May, 2014. We're rounding out the show. We've only got a couple of minutes left. Dave, uh, that was kind of mind-blowing, eh? Uh, Dave, hey, you, how you doing? So, you know what, I, I realized, I'd, I'd, my apologies to our listening audience, I... I Muted it near the end because I guess uh, you know I didn't want you to have to listen to my keyboard typing. <laughs> how, long, how long were you sitting there talking to yourself before you realized? Uh, about uh, about three seconds. I, I was good, and you know what? At least I know I had great company. <laughs> Indeed, that was one thing. One thing Steve Demillionaire said at the end of the uh, of that interview. 
if they won't give us net neutrality, this is one of the ways we can take it. Yeah, I know. That was a powerful statement. Indeed. Um, You know, the funny thing, after the entire interview, I'm still not sure I really understand Bitcoin. (laughs) (laughs) It was a hell of a primer. You and everybody else. Um, I'm sure there's there's a few people. Yeah, it's a really, really interesting subject. you know how how long is it is it going to um, you know last? Will it actually become a, a viable currency? I would guess no, but that something will replace it. Like obviously the need is there for something like that, even among you know you me. That's you know just a, a universal currency that's easy to use. Um, you know, with to make purchases around the world without having to deal with exchange rates and this and that. Um, so you know by that context, great. Um, but yeah, will it be Bitcoin? I guess we'll, we'll be we'll be left to see. But I I'm guessing it'll be something after this um, that really right. takes hold. He also mentioned the rise of about 200 other uh, online microcurrencies. I have a I have a feeling the future is just going to get well, just a little bit more interesting in the in the, in the coming months. Okay, uh, we have about four minutes left. One story that hit the wires this week that I think concerned a lot of people was um, the new Facebook app and their instant ability to, um, well, listen to you. Yeah. Yep. Um, Yep. (laughs) Yeah, well, I I actually, I I included it, interestingly, in in my blog post about Google Car. And I think if we can merge these two technologies together, that is powerful because it will be listening in the background. And if it hears Honey Boo Boo or Justin Bieber, it can just drive you into a cave where you can't post anymore. We'll oh, yeah, good. I know, but, but think about this, Dave. I mean, like, you're, you're uh, sitting along in your autonomous self-driving car. I, I know you. You've got one direction cranked on the, uh, <laughs> <laughs> on the stereo, and you're singing along to it. And suddenly Facebook comes on, and, you know, it... it, 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 it wants to match up what you're listening to and tell tell all your friends what you're listening to. And not only, I mean, I, I can just see this happening. Now, if, if they were to merge with uh, with G+, they would make a hangout out of it. So not only would we know what you were <laughs> listening to, we'd actually be able to hear you see One Direction and, like, really, like <laughs> yeah, I know one thing about about the addition of this app, um, and one I, I can't remember where it was. Um, one article I was reading on it brings up what is a really good point. Um, right now, it's being launched as a option, right? You can turn this thing on or off, and it will be off by default. Um, you know, one of the the concerns that the author, and again, I, I wish I could credit him, um, had brought up was. Facebook does have a habit, and you've seen it, I've seen it, of taking things that were optional <laughs> and just yeah. sort of going, and now this is, this is what we do, right? We, we got you kind of used to it, um, and so now this is what we're doing. You can just decide whether you want um, to publish this information or not, but we are going to be getting it all the time anyway. So, you know, we can start feeding, you know, new kids on the block ads to Dave because, you know, he decided to go a little old school. Um, Facebook is rolling this out as you said with it turned off by default that implies they expect somebody someone out there to to actually turn it on who would do something seriously now that's that's, that's my first question is, is who would do such a thing and secondly why does a story like this still have the capacity to surprise and outrage us? 
given how pretty much every movement we make is tracked by our cell phones. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, uh, to me, this is, you know, yeah, I guess it's a, it's a, a violation of, of privacy. But am I surprised? No, this is an extension of, of, of data that, you know, essentially I wouldn't have been surprised to find out they were listening in in the past. Um, you know, is, is this concerning? Yes. I mean, you know, you and I, we're both Canadians. So, I mean, this is at the forefront of our news right now is, is what's going on up here related to privacy. Um, and privacy laws. So, um, you know, I'm not surprised it's happening. No, I don't like it. Um, Who will use it? Um, You know, would uh, would my little sister, you know, probably she's a teenager. (laughs) So, I gotta uh, tell you, you know know what really concerns me as somebody on radio these days, you know, there's so many different organizations, commercial and governmental, tracking us on what we do on our on our mobile devices. You know, some of them are able to turn our cameras on and off, according to, to Ed Snowden. Yeah. You know what really concerns me? What's that? Your sister. Your sister one day is going to actually probably have more listeners than we do. <laughs> <laughs> Except they'll all be government agencies and marketers. As opposed to people who listen to our show who tend to be government agencies and marketers. Yeah. <laughs> A world of difference. Indeed. Indeed. Well, um, hopefully we can make them laugh more. Um, although, if they were to turn my phone on, I don't know if it would make them laugh or cry. Okay, that's it. 255. We've got full out. Oh, no, we got two whole more minutes. So that means we get, we get to throw in a whole new story. You open the door, Brasco. <laughs> so, and he's uh, going to be last... playing the sound effects to close us out. What do you got for us, Jim? Uh, just a, a quick correction on last on last week. Um, we went to air just after uh, a Panda update was uh, released by Google. eBay yep. was hit last week with what appeared to be repercussions of the Panda update. As it turns out, eBay got a hand job. It was a manual penalty, not a not a, not a uh, <laughs> A bear-related panel. Oh, did I say that? Yeah. Um, <laughs> I did say that. Uh, eBay got a manual penalty, which means that Google moved, applied the penalty by hand, not by, um, not algorithmically, otherwise known as a hand job. Just to and you know what's a shame out of the industry. Clear. What's you know what's that? a shame is they, uh, they. It was not a happy ending. <laughs> I, I, I had to run with it, Jim. I had to. <laughs> anyway, I really just wanted to. I just really wanted to, to get that in there. It wasn't part of the uh, Panda update. It was a Google um, uh, manual penalty. We'll talk to talk more about that next week because we have gone full time here on Web College and Webmaster Radio and FM for this week. So, on behalf of Dave Davis from Beanstalk SEO, that's Dave at BeanstalkSEO.com. This is Jim Hedger from Digital Always Media. Jim at digitalwaysmedia.com. You've been listening to Web College on webmasterradio.fm. Friends, we got amazing content coming up on the network. Stay tuned after the news. This has been a presentation of webmasterradio.fm, the world's largest business-to-business radio and podcast network. We welcome you to sample past episodes of this program, as well as our complete library of programs, on demand or on the air via our 24-7 live audio stream at www.webmasterradio.fm. 
The opinions expressed on this program are those of the guests and hosts and do not necessarily reflect those of WebmasterRadio.fm's management or sponsors. Any rebroadcast or redistribution without authorized consent of WebmasterRadio.fm is prohibited.